The Gospel reading for this morning continues on in the Sermon on the Mount from Matthew chapter 5. And if you look, look in your bulletin, it says the scripture reading is Matthew 5, 21 through 37. I'm sorry to inform you, that is a lie. <laughs> the, we're actually reading uh, chapter 5, verses 38 through 48. Uh, so if you have trouble following along, that's probably why. <laughs> All right, listen to the word of the Lord. You've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you that you must not oppose those who want to hurt you. If people slap you on your right cheek, you must turn the left cheek to them as well. When they wish to haul you to court and take your shirt, let them have your coat too. When they force you to go one mile, go with them too. Give to those who ask and don't refuse those who wish to borrow from you. You've heard that it was said, you must love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who harass you, so that you will be acting as children of your Father who is in heaven. He makes the sun rise on both the evil and the good, and sends rain on both the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love only those who love you, what reward do you have? Don't even tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what more are you doing? Don't even the Gentiles do the same? Therefore, just as your heavenly Father is complete in showing love to everyone, so also you must be complete. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our second reading today comes from the, the first letter to the Corinthians. This is uh, one of the letters that Paul writes to the church in Corinth, um, which is a church... Um, one of the first ones that, that Paul um, started, and Paul had a, a tendency to write to these churches that he had started, even churches that he didn't start, churches that he had just heard about. Write letters to encourage them, letters to help them to um, follow God better, and uh, to help them to, to recognize the ways in which they're struggling. And so Corinthians is a great, 1 Corinthians in particular is a great letter for that because it is so relevant. It is sadly too relevant about what it means to be a church, what it means to be the body of Christ. Uh, there are so many issues that the church in Corinth is experiencing that the church in the 21st century is still experiencing. We are really good at being the church in Corinth, uh, both in the good ways and the bad ways. And so um, Paul is talking at this point um, about the divisions in the church, of which there are many. So listen to the word of the Lord from 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through 9. Brothers and sisters, I couldn't talk to you like spiritual people, but like unspiritual people, like babies in Christ. I gave you milk to drink instead of solid food, because you weren't up to it yet. Yet you are still not up to it because you are still unspiritual. When jealousy and fighting exist between you, aren't you unspiritual and living in human standards? When someone says, I belong to Paul, and someone else says, I belong to Apollos, aren't you acting like people without the Spirit? After all, what is Apollos? What is Paul? They are servants who helped you believe. Each one had a role given to them by the Lord. I planted, Apollos watered, and God made it grow. Because of this, neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only the one who is anything. Is, the only one who is anything is God, who makes it grow. The one who plants and the one who waters work together but each one will receive their own reward for their labor. We are God's co-workers, and you are God's field, God's building. This is the word of the Lord. 
Thanks be to God. Please pray with me. Almighty God, open our hearts, open our minds. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight. Amen. So Paul, as I said, is talking to a church that really is doing exceptionally well in a lot of ways. They are a strong church. Corinth is a big uh, kind of in commercial city, uh, and it's a, it's a great place to have a church. This is a church that is really strong as a Christian church, but they are incredibly divided. They have found ways to separate between the rich people and the poor people, so whenever they have meals together, all the rich people eat first, and then whatever's left over, then they welcome in the poor people, like, you can have, I don't know, the rest of the pizza. Nobody wanted that one. It's pineapple pizza. We thought people would like it. I don't know what we were thinking. And so that you're allowed to just have the leftovers. And that there, then there's great division between those who have studied and uh, kind of feel like they've achieved an understanding of God and are really kind of scholars in this, and those who are fresh to the faith, those who can articulate it as well. And so they start to act like they know more than everybody else. And some of them, and, and we get in this place the, this, these two groups, Apollos, who is a, 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 a really important person in the Bible who never wrote anything that's in the Bible, at least that we know. He could have written Hebrews. Um, Hebrews doesn't have an author, um, which is, actually Hebrews is probably written by a woman because it doesn't have an author, which is, that's why you wouldn't indicate that there's an author because if you say a woman wrote it, no one's going to read it. Um, but Apollos, to our, to our knowledge, didn't write anything that's in the Bible. But Apollos is mentioned several times in Acts and in the letters of Paul as a really powerful preacher, a really articulate person who was instrumental in spreading the gospel in the early church. And Paul even recognizes Apollos as, as a co-equal, not even as a competitor. Whenever Paul talks about Peter, he kind of talks about Peter like, eh, you know, Peter. Ugh. Uh, but he doesn't talk about Apollos that way. He's like, Apollos, yeah, that guy. I mean, he did stuff, and I did stuff, and we do stuff together. Uh, and so Apollos, uh, there are some people in Corinth who are saying, yeah, we listen to what Apollos said, we follow him, and that's great. And then some people say, well, we follow what Paul said. It's a little bit different than what Apollos said, and that's great. And if you're thinking, wow, that sounds petty, let me put it a different way. We're Methodists, and we believe in the Methodist way. We're Presbyterians, we believe in the Presbyterian way. We're Catholics. We were done with church yesterday. Uh, so that, we still do this. And not even just that, just in terms of denominational. Like, we, we're pretty low-key competitive with denominations. We don't really say, oh, the Methodists. It's when we get into kind of the broader things, if you, like the, the, the non-mainline Protestants, when you get into, ah, well, I mean, they're Baptists or they're evangelical, non-denominational. Non There's a lot of nons in that one. Uh, that kind of, like, as we get further away from the main line, that's when we get a little skeptical. And it's not to say that we shouldn't be questioning some of those things, but we shouldn't be competitive about it. And that's what's going on in the church in Corinth. And so that's what Paul's talking about, which is exactly what's going on now. And so Paul says, it doesn't really matter. Paul also, true to Paul's character, Paul is really good at saying, just so you know, I'm the best. But also, just so you know, it doesn't matter. 
Paul does kind of get that slide in there. He says, well, I planted this seed. Apollos watered the seed. But God made it grow. So the God made it grow is the most important thing, but I do want us to notice, like, if you go to some place in Baltimore and it says, George Washington planted this tree, people are going to care about that tree. They're not going to say George Washington has planted this tree and James Madison also watered it. They're not going to, who cares who watered the tree? It's about planting the tree. And so Paul does let you know, I, did, I mean, I did plant this tree. Uh, but he does then let us know, but that doesn't matter. God makes all this grow. So everything we're doing is for God, whether it's Methodist or Catholic or Presbyterian or non-denominational, as long as we are following God, the God of Christ, Jesus Christ, then we're all working together. We may have a different way of coming at it, but you're missing the point when you're that focused on those separations. So what does that mean for us to follow God? Because it's really easy to say, well, we should all follow God, because then each of those different groups are going to say, yes, we should follow God this way. No, we should follow God this way. We should, we should, we should do it on Saturday. We should do follow God in all kinds of different ways. So how do we clarify that? That's where it's helpful to hear what God has to say about it. So Jesus in the, is in the midst of the uh, kind of winding up the Sermon on the Mount. And sadly, we're going to leave the Sermon on the Mount now because we are just about to enter into Lent. So Transfiguration Sunday leaves this, and we go to a different, we go to the Transfiguration next week, um, or even talking about mission. I'm not even sure what we're talking about in terms of the scripture next week. But uh, we're, we're not in the sermon anymore. And then the week after that, we go into Lent, and the Lenten service is, is out there. So the, the Sermon on the Mount actually goes on for two more chapters, six and seven. And um, I, I skipped a little bit ahead in the lectionary because I do want us to include this part because it sums up this idea. So what we had in the passage that we're going to read today, uh, Jesus is talking about all the different, he says, you have heard it said, and it continues on to this. So he says, you've heard it said, uh, don't kill people, because that's what the commandment said. But I tell you, if you hate someone in your head, it's just as bad as killing somebody. You've heard it was say, don't commit adultery. But I tell you, if you lust after someone in your head, that's just as bad as committing adultery. And then he continues on with this passage. You've heard it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, if someone slaps you on the face, turn your other cheek too. You've heard it was say, love your enemies and hate your neighbors. No, love your neighbors and hate your enemies. There's a chopper coming. But I tell you that you should love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Oh. It's not here. Uh, but I tell you, you should love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And so the, the bar is different. In all of those cases, Jesus is making it a lot more strict. Thank you, that was, that was really good. I follow Apollos. <laughs> but in all those situations, thinks we're all really good at not murdering people. We're probably not very good at not hating people. But Jesus is saying, that's just as bad as killing somebody. And you think, well, I mean, legally it's not. But what Jesus is saying is not the standard is higher. What Jesus is saying is that the way you start to hate someone enough to kill them is by hating them in your head. All of this stuff, the, the, I realized when I was a kid, this is a good lesson to learn. 
And I realized that, realized that actually from uh, many adults in my life that made mistakes, especially uh, people in the church, watching them make, make, make mistakes helped me to realize the best way to not make those same mistakes is to say no five questions before you get asked that hard thing. So the most tempting thing in the room is really hard to say no to. But you know five rooms before that, this is probably going to be a hard situation to say no to. In high school, you think, if I go to this party, there's probably going to be things going on there that I don't want to get messed up with. And it's a whole lot easier to say, I don't think I'm going to go to this party, than it is to be in that room and people say, do you want to do this thing you shouldn't do? And to say, uh, no, because everyone else is doing it and I didn't drive myself here. Like that, it becomes a lot harder. And sometimes it's not that obvious, too. As you get to be an adult, those choices become more rational, less obvious than being in the middle of the woods with a keg and everyone is underage. Uh, so what Jesus is saying is not that the bar is set so high that all of you are terrible. Yes, we're all terrible. But also, if, it, if it's just don't kill people, that's a pretty low standard for being a good person. And that doesn't talk about where our heart is. You can be a person that is filled with rage and hatred, or a person that is filled with lust and desire that does not physically act on those things externally, but is corrupted inside by this objectification of other people. Because whether you're hating people or lusting after them, you have turned them into an impediment, something either that gives you desire or that gives you uh, uh, frustration. And so I, my hatred of you is not because I care for you, it's because you're in my way. My desire for you is not because you are a wonderful person I want to spend time with, it's because you have something that will make me feel good whether that's physical or emotional or financial or anything like that, that lusting is turning someone into a thing. That's why it's different than love. You can lust after an idea, not a person. You can hate an idea, not really a person. And so when Jesus is changing this situation, he's saying that the, the, it's not that the standard is higher, it's that you've missed the point. There's nothing wrong with the law. Remember at the beginning of this, he said, I didn't come to change the law. I didn't come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill the law. And so let me tell you about the law. You read the law that says, oh, if I just don't kill anybody, I'm fine. No, that's not the point of the law. The point of the law is don't hate anybody because that's the worst thing. And if you hate people, that will lead to wanting to kill them. And then you have to have that struggle of like, oh, I want to kill all these people, but I'm not supposed to. I'll just quietly hate them all. Wait until God kills them for me. What a terrible way to live. That is not how God wants us to live. And so Jesus is amping up these things to let us know, here's what the law is actually supposed to do. Uh, Calvin puts it in this way. That, uh, John Calvin, uh, who's a theologian from the Renaissance, uh, from the Reformation, Renaissance Reformation, um, and one of the things that he said was he said the law has three uses. First, to tell us what not to do and to uh, let us know here's where the boundaries are. Second, to make us realize, oh, no, I am not good at not doing that. And then third, to set us free to do the inverse. So anything that says, do not do this, the inverse is what you should do. So it's one thing to just not kill someone. That's pretty relatively easy. But what we should do even beyond that, the third use of the law, what it does is that then you should give them life. It's one thing to not steal from people. So the inverse of that is then you should give freely to them. If you should not commit adultery, if you should not lust after people, then what you should do is you should care for them as individuals. You should get to know them as a person and value their own humanity and their own needs 
and uniqueness. Not as something that can please or hurt you, but just as a person who you can learn from. Someone you can empathize with. That third use of the law is what we missed, and that's what this whole chunk of the, of the sermon is about. Saying there's nothing wrong with the law, it's just you've used the law to determine who's righteous and who isn't, and determine who you're allowed to hate and who you're not allowed to hate. And the law is not about making you righteous, the law is about making you whole. The law is about helping you to realize that hating people is going to kill you. And that is not what God wants for us. And then in our passage today, it moves even further. It has been said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. That's, Jesus is quoting scripture here. And that was a thing, it was a law in Leviticus that was put in there because it used to be that if I poked out your eye, you would kill me. And they would say, that's not okay. I know. They would say, that's, that's not okay. And so what is just, this is like backseat of the Volkswagen justice. Well, if she punched you, you punch her back. And then be quiet or we're not going to the Grand Canyon. We'll turn this car around. And so, well, if he pokes your eye out, you poke his eye out, and then you're done. No more fighting. And so eye for eye, tooth for tooth, was a legal precedent to say equality. If someone kills your goat, you get to kill their goat, or they have to give you their goat. Or I guess you could kill it if you're a weirdo. But that, like, they have to replace it. And you, the things you can't replace, you have to pay back in due kind. That's called revenge. And really what that, that law was put into place because people were killing each other over infractions that were not uh, mortal. And people were killing, like, you stole my goat, so I'm going to kill your whole family. No. You steal a goat, they owe you a goat. That's how it goes. And so Jesus is saying, that was a system when you guys were terrible. You're a little better than this. That's also not a great system. The system is even different than that. I'm not saying poke somebody's eye out if they poke your eye out. I'm not even saying slap someone in the face if they don't. I am saying, and I want, this is, this is wording that we miss. So I want you to hear this. You must not oppose those who would hurt you. The red letters. I want to say it again because it's one of those good sentences that we are real good at skipping over because it's a little too convicting. You must not oppose those who would hurt you. Now that opens all kinds of issues with just war and self-defense and things like that that we're not going to talk about, but I am going to open up that can of worms and put it on the shelf and let you deal with it. Jesus is telling us that the right response to someone who wants to hurt us is to love them. Now, not love them to say, thank you for hurting me, but to love them to say, you still have value, and I am not going to respond in hatred, and I'm not even going to respond in retreat. We're often taught uh, that turn the other cheek means basically, uh, we're talking about different cheeks, if you will, that you kind of just turn around and walk away. You say, oh, well, I'm better than them. I'm not going to fight. That's not what Jesus is talking about. Jesus is saying, someone slaps you on the face, you stand there and let them slap it. Now, obviously, we don't do it to continue to experience this pain, but we help them to know that I am not going to give up on you. Literally, it may not mean continue to get slapped in the face, but it does mean that you go back to that person to try to heal that relationship. One, because they need to know God's love, but two, if not, you will build up this hatred in your heart for someone who has slapped you in the face, whether that is actually physical or emotional or whatever. Grudges will kill you, and that is what Jesus is talking about. So it also says, well, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, which is a very logical thing to do. But Jesus says, I'm not even saying that. 
I'm saying love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. Not pray that they would get arrested and go to jail. Not pray that a big piano would fall on them or something like that. But pray that they would be blessed. Right after that passage, Jesus says, because God sends the sun on the evil and the just. God sends the rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. It's important for us to recognize that both of those are good things. Uh, We often kind of read it as like, God sends the sun, good stuff, and the rain, bad stuff, to everybody. Nope. God sends good stuff, sun, we need sun to grow stuff, and rain, also good because we need rain to grow stuff and give us water, to everybody. So Jesus is following this thing of saying, you need to pray for those who persecute you by saying, look at God. He blesses everybody. And it's not because God is unjust. It's because God has mercy. God is not just blindly giving good stuff to people. God is giving good people out of mercy, giving good things to everyone out of mercy, whether they deserve it or not. And so we need to be like God in our approach to people. Now, we, we struggle with this, so it's not being perfect, but the sense of being perfect is not, and this is where it, where it completes this whole section of, of the sermon, that perfection is not achieved through following rules. Perfection is achieved by loving people the way that God loves them. And God loves people indiscriminate of their ability to do good or bad. In their ability to, uh, indiscriminate of, of how many people they've slapped in the face today. We cannot change people. We can't punish people into love, no matter how hard we try. We can love them into love. I am uh, uh, married to an amazing person who um, was a dolphin trainer, um, and uh, now she is a dog trainer, um, and she's trained several other uh, mammals in the meantime, uh, one of them being homo sapiens. Um, but one of the things that, it, that is really important and really a hard thing, really, now that she's training dogs, she's really training dog owners, which is even harder than training dogs. And so when people ask her, like, which is harder, training the dolphins or training the dogs, she, she usually says, well, they're pretty much the same. And people go, dolphins aren't geniuses? She's like, not really. I mean, some of them are dopes and some of them are smart, just like dogs. Like, they're, it's just training. They're similar in terms of their cognitive ability. But it's harder for dogs because you're training the people. You aren't training dolphin owners, you're training the dolphins. But when you're training dogs, you're training dog owners, and dog owners want you to fix it. They don't want to work on it. And the hard thing, especially in owning a dog, and this is one of the hard things for me, we have a dog who loves us. And when we show up, he wants us to know how much he loves us, and he has one ability to do that. And it's to bark louder than anything you've ever heard in your life. His bark is like a terrifying scream. But he loves us, and he barks. And if you come over to the house, he will bark so loud because he's so excited that anybody else is coming to the house. And you will also see me the maddest you've ever seen me because I'll yell at the dog. That's not helping anything. One of the things in which my wife is trying to train the dog owner that when I respond to this negative behavior by yelling at the dog, that's at least something. And he's going to know, well, if I get ignored when I do other things, at least, and it's kind of sad when you think about it, at least I'll get any kind of attention. And so if I bark, at least they notice me. Because when I don't bark, they just ignore me. 
And so really, what, one of the biggest things in terms of training is um, positive reinforcement. And positive reinforcement doesn't just mean doing good things. It's also adding punishment. It's adding anything. So negative reinforcement is taking things away. Positive reinforcement is adding things. So like spanking is positive reinforcement. I know that doesn't sound right. It's positive punishment. Gets into operant conditioning. This is a whole other thing. Well, now we're in science class. Sorry. Uh, but recognizing that everything we do to a dog affects the way they respond. If we put all of our energy into responding to the things they do negatively, a dog at their heart just wants to be noticed. And so they're going to start reacting negatively if you don't notice when they do the good stuff. If you, unlike me, are able to ignore when the dog barks at the wrong time and reward when the dog doesn't bark, which is a hard thing to notice when they're not doing the thing that bothers you. When someone comes to the door and he sits there quietly, that's when he needs the reward. Not when he barks and barks and barks and then I yell at him and send him outside and then he comes back in and I throw him a ball and he fetches it and that's when I give him a reward. Humans are the same way. If someone is hating you, the way you love them is not by yelling at them and putting them on a leash and sending them outside. The way you love them is by identifying the things that they are doing right. The things that, that are worth rewarding and highlighting that stuff. Usually people will harm others because they are afraid or because they feel like they need to protect something. All hatred, all anger comes from a sense of fear. When we establish that we are people who you do not need to fear, then we can start to wrestle with why is it that you thought I was someone that you should be afraid of? Why did I think you were someone I should be afraid of? And where is God in this? We thought we knew what the purpose of this whole thing was. For us to be perfect, for other people to see how perfect we are, and then to follow our stuff. And God is telling us, no, that is not the point. The point is to recognize that we are to be people of love. Not some kind of nebulous, hold hands, I know we're going to sing it, but kumbaya love. It's a better song than that. But a love that has no, no, no purpose, no action. But a love instead that is willing to sit there with you even as you're trying to slap me. That is willing to sit there in silence even as you're barking, trying to get me to notice you. Waiting for you to do the thing that is best for both of us so that I can be in relationship with you. You've heard that it was said that all Christians need to be perfect. But I tell you, all Christians, all people, merely need to be people of love. Amen.